Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to another episode with Dr. Lee George. In the last episode, we discussed what branding is, why it's important, and some of the benefits along with Lee's career, failure, and value-based pricing. In today's episode, we'll discuss the steps for creating a successful brand, along with knowing when our brand is working, being in control of our brand, mistaking branding for visual identity, and some examples of successful brands. What are your steps of creating a successful brand? So I, um, I think there's two parts. You have to understand kind of what is the kind of the best part about the company um, in terms of kind of if it's, if it's a company that's been around for a while, it's understanding what do their most fervent customers love the most about it. If it's, if it's a startup, then really kind of trying to understand kind of why they're doing this, what's motivating the founders, but then also looking at their audiences and trying to find an intersection between kind of, you know, why the company got started and what the audience cares about. Um, in terms of kind of, if it's, if it's a company that's been around for a while, it's understanding what do their most fervent customers love the most about it. If it's, if it's a startup, then really kind of trying to understand kind of why they're doing this, what's motivating the founders, but then also looking at their audiences and trying to find an intersection between kind of, you know, why the company got started and what the audience cares about. So you can't, in fact, I just, I recently had a conversation with um, a startup and um, they wanted my branding help and I asked them a bunch of questions and kind of what came out of it was there was no problem they were solving for, right? They, they had a business idea of something they thought would be cool and useful, but there was no kind of example they could give me of how it was going to make their audience's lives easier in a way that was desired. And I said, I, I, I feel like you're still kind of figuring out the business plan that you don't really know who your audience is yet. And I think to be a successful brand, there has to be something at stake for your audience, some challenge that they're faced with that you can help them overcome. And so it's kind of bringing those two parts together. So it's deep audience research on one side and then kind of a deep research into the, the company, the founder story, um, all of those things, and then putting them together in a narrative that charts kind of the customer challenge, their perspective on it, their kind of unique approach, and then the impact that they can achieve for their audience. Okay, that's a good framework. What are the, what are the components or the, the output of a successful branding strategy? So I think it's first that narrative um, is really important uh, because it helps to get everyone on the same page and speak with one voice. I think too, what I found to be really important, especially internally in terms of getting your, um, your staff excited is um, a brand manifesto. And that's a much more um, emotionally, uh, kind of an emotional representation of your brand purpose. And it's almost, it acts like a rallying cry. Um, if you if you Google like Apple Manifesto or Nike Manifesto, which I think are the kind of two most famous ones, it after reading that you get kind of chills. You're like, yes, I am ready to go. Let's 
you know, I am here for you. Um, and it really crystallizes for an organization kind of, you know, why they're there and what they're there to do. So I think those two things are the most important. The, the manifesto can help galvanize the um, company and then the brand narrative can help guide all of your kind of external branding efforts from brand personality, from the voice and tone of communications to the look and feel um, and the experiences that you create. How do you know if your branding is working or not? After you've gone to all this work and done it, or, or if you're trying to decide if you need to redo it, right? How do you know yep. if it's working? You know, clearly when you create a brand, you have a sense of kind of what's the impression we want to leave? What do we kind of want to be known for? And so that helps you create a kind of baseline. And then um, if, you know, to know if it's successful, you, you have to talk to people. You have to talk to your customers. You can even do um, survey of non-customers to understand, you know, when they hear your name, what do they think of? Um, uh, tell me about your last experience with brand X. And you can use that information to kind of compare with the baseline. Are we aligned or are we not aligned? And I think brand refreshes or rebrands happen because there's a misalignment, right? That the organization has changed. They, there's a new direction. Oftentimes there's new leadership with a new vision for the company. And um, the public still knows them from what they did five, 10 years ago. And so those perceptions need to come back into alignment. So I think anytime there's a disconnect between kind of the company and how it sees itself and uh, the world or your audience, your customers and how they view you, then that's when a rebrand is important. What questions should a business ask themselves when they're starting a branding project for the first time or they're beginning their rebrand? Mm, that's a really good question. I think uh, my first question to them would be, are you willing to talk to your customers? There's some people today, almost a movement of people who believe branding doesn't matter, right? They believe you can just throw text up on your, your website for your company name. You don't have to make a, a real logo that you can make just as much money without creating a brand. Uh, how important do you feel is branding today? Well, I think, you know, that's an interesting um, observation because I think even if you commit no resources to a logo or colors or messaging, you will have a brand. Yep. Because if you don't create it, the public will. So the question is not whether or not a brand's important or whether or not you should have a brand. It, the question should be, do you wanna control what the perception is or do you want others to control how yeah. you're viewed? And, and you so, want your brand, your brand to be just black text on a white background with no imagery, or do you want it to convey something that's meaningful to your, your customer? Yeah. And I think too, you know, even if uh, black text on a white background, that, that sends a message that communicates mm -hmm. something, right? It says that you're very minimal, that you're simple, that you're not fussy. And so there's certain expectations are easily built around what your products will be like, what the experience with you will be like. So every design choice, whether it's in kind of verbal communication, written communication, visual communication, 
is communication. It sends a message. It has meanings that people will interpret. So the question is, you know, do you want to do that purposefully and, and, and be in command of that and, and take charge of that? Or do you just want people to ascribe meaning to you? Yeah. Okay. Just so to summarize by not creating a brand, we still are creating a brand exactly. and, and let's make sure that we're purposeful about that. And maybe we want a minimal minimalist brand and, and that's the direction we want to go. Great. Keep it simple. But if that's not the direction we want to go, we need to be careful. We're not heading down a brand path that, that isn't going to work for us long-term. Right. Exactly. exactly. What are the biggest mistakes that companies often make when they go through this branding process? Um, I think that they treat it more as a cosmetic exercise. So many times I see, you know, um, even in the news. So I think in 2021, there are all these rebrands and, but what they were, were really just new visual identities. So Pfizer, GM, Burger King, they all came out in 2021 with new looks and feels with like different colors and typography. And I think, you know, that makes it feel more like fashion or kind of trendy, you know, like, oh, this season's look is, you know, these colors or whatever. And it's not truly a brand. To me, a brand really is like what you stand for. And it's not just, and that is, is should be expressed in visuals, but you shouldn't, I think reduce your company to a look and feel because then that sort of cheapens your your value to a certain extent. So I would say that's the biggest um, kind of the biggest red flag for me that that organizations face when they rebrand. It's not just the look and feel. It's not just the design. It's you got to right. start with a story behind it, right? And, and then and the logo is a manifestation of that story and that message. All right. Um, can you tell me a couple of stories? Tell me, tell me about a couple of brands that you think do it well and have have gone through this branding process and and have done a good job on it. So I think um, it's interesting over the pandemic. Um, just looking at how, looking at the brands that have emerged and the ones that have changed, there's one, and I actually have their candle right here. It's Uncle Terry Smells is the name of the candle. Okay. And so um, what struck me about it was, I, I think candles are stupid. Like I'm being t totally honest. I like no clutter, right? I was like, what's the fun? Like, what does a candle yeah. do for me? I couldn't, it yep. didn't, I couldn't figure it out. But when I saw their, um, like their social media posts, so, and then their website. So what they do is it's these images. So their color palette is orange and blue and they curate these images from pop culture, kitsch culture, high culture, low culture, always with these color palettes. And I became obsessed with it because it was so much the, the brand was so much about identity and appealing to a certain kind of person. And I was clearly that kind of person because I was just totally drawn to that imagery because I love yeah. like high, low, kitsch kind of brands that make fun of themselves. And, you know, I thought, I even wrote about them. Um, and I said, you know, this brand ostensibly sells candles, but they could sell anything right? Because the brand is so clear and so strong. It speaks to a very particular audience. They're not trying to appeal to everyone. Their voice is very specific. It's like a beacon to their people. 
right? You instant, like you either get that brand or you don't. And I'm telling you, if they sold clothes, I would buy them. If they sold a car, if they sold a computer, I mean, to me, that is just solid branding. They have a very particular point of view and they commit to it and they just happen to sell candles. I feel like all the best brands do that, the strongest brands. So Apple, for example. Yeah, that's what right? I was just thinking. Like they are all about creativity and innovation and they just happen to sell computers. And they, they could sell a car and we would buy it because the brand they've created yes. flows through to all yes. sorts of different products. Exactly. And I think that it's, it's, that's why I think the strongest brands have a very distinct point of view. You're never going to confuse them with another brand. And I think so many organizations are afraid of being different, right? They, they work so they, they want to appeal to everyone because they're afraid they're going to miss out on customers and growth if they, if, you know, if they are too specific. But what I love about like Uncle Terry Smells and Apple um, is that they are just, they're, they commit to who they are, they never waver and you either get them or you don't. And they don't care that there's a whole group of PC buyers out there or candle buyers who want like cursive text with light fluffy clouds, whatever the other, you know, aesthetic is. They, they, um, lean into who they are and they, they never um, waver from that. And so I think those, those to me are the, the brands I'm most passionate about. I even, so Apple, when I, my first computer was in college and I had to get a Tandy computer. I don't even know if you know what that is, but they were sold yeah. at Radio Shack yep. because my dad said that, you know, Apple was too expensive. So the minute I could save enough money, I bought a Performa Apple computer and I have bought Apple computers ever since then. To write my dissertation, I bought the Apple Cube, which if you Google it, it's this gorgeous cube and it glowed like, like it was alive. And when it stopped working, I kept it. And I still have it in my house in front of a window because the way that light is like refracted within the case is so beautiful. I just want it around because it is a beautiful object and it makes me happy to have it around. Like, can you, like what yeah. other broken piece of junk do you keep yes. in your house, right? When it no longer serves its function. Because it resonates with you. That Steve Jobs quote about here's to, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, I, yeah. the rebels. I have that on my wall. I'm looking at it right yeah. now. Right. I'm counting down the days till the next MacBook, the new MacBook Pro comes out. So I can buy that whenever I get a new phone. Right. Yes. I tried once to go from an Apple to a PC and it was such a painful experience. Yes. And I, I don't know that it, it resonates so much with me, just like it does with you. They've, they've created something that they can charge us more exactly. and, and we're not even getting the best computing power. We could probably get more for less somewhere else, yes. but we are their love group. We're part of their brand. We're passionate about it. Right. And, and that's one of the, I mean, if, especially if you're, you know, a founder or business executive, you want to know the number one reason of a brand, you can charge more. Yeah. Right? You can charge a premium because you don't have to compete on price. Exactly. Exactly. And I think people ask me all the time, like, what do you think the be you know, the strongest brands are? And it's, to be honest, there are not a lot of them because, you know, companies will not commit to that, you know, uh, 
very unique, specific perspective in the same way that like an Apple does. So I think, you know, I look at like more along the lines of creators now, I feel like, or like BTS Army, right? Where you've got like millions of fans who will, you know, do things in the name of, of BTS, which is, you know, I feel like kind of Apple uh, consumers are the same way. We're, we're loyal to a fault. And yeah. I think that that sort of loyalty is just priceless. I mean, talk about creating a consumer for life. I'm never going to think about buying a different computer. Yeah. I mean, I guess never say never, but. I have I, no desire to ever do yeah, that. Yeah. Same with there, me. Yeah. So when I look at the forces that cause behavior change, there is no image of a better computer in my mind that I've seen, yeah. right? That will, will, because it's not just, it's not just about kind of technically doing my work. It makes me happy. It brings joy and beauty into my life. Yeah, it's part There's, of who you are. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Lee, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from the second episode of Lee's interview. Number one, the first step to creating a successful brand is knowing our audience. Number two, a brand manifesto should unify our company and resonate with our audience. Number three, if our audience's perception of us doesn't line up with our vision, then we may need to rebrand. Number four, if we don't actively create our own brand, it will be created for us, and we may not, it may not line up with what we want it to be. Number five, branding is more than visual identity, but it can be expressed visually. We should focus on the narrative behind our business and manifest that story in our design. Number six, many successful brands don't try to appeal to everyone. They pick a specific audience and focus on that audience. To learn more about or connect with Lee, you can connect with her on LinkedIn or Twitter, or you can visit her on her website, find-freedom.co. And there's links to those sites on the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can get a free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in creating an amazing brand for your company. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.